Pilly found some space, took the mark, loaded up. Oh, the bottom strikes early. Garcia marks, plays on. Can he finish? Bailey Smith, the dogs have got all the flow. This will bring the house down. If Bailey Smith knows it and lets the crowd know. And balls to English on the run. The Ruckman, a long ball, a glorious ball. Slid the handball in to Lork and straighten onto his right. He's got time, he's got space, and he's kicked up beauty. Now Jamari Gilhagen kicks it wrong. It's a got and what a carry. That's something extraordinary. It's five for the night, and the dogs are home. Welcome to the Salty Bulldog, the podcast that we'd like to remind our Sydney fans out there that if you still subscribe to the conspiracy that Matt Stevick and Simon Meredith were against your side in the 2016 grand final, just remember, they looked after you quite well in last year's prelim. My name is Matthew Donald, your regular host of the Salty Bulldog, the creator of the Salty Bulldog. Joining me is Nick Galea, who's back from his trip in or behind enemy lines in the UK. And Nick, before I welcome you to the program, last episode we talked about the run of goals in terms of conceding a bunch of goals in a period of the game without being able to reply with a run of our own. We get to come up with quite a catchy name for it, but we've got a definition for it. It happened again last week. Six goals to one over the course of the second and the third term was ultimately the deciding factor in yet another frustrating defeat for the Bulldogs. You asked me last week to do some homework. I spoke in the last 27 games that the Bulldogs had played, including the 2021 Grand Final. We'd conceded such a run on 27 occasions. You asked me to check what that run was like over the course of 2019 and 2020. Now, I'm not going to tell you that it's not as bad because it is exactly as bad. Over the last 41 games, it's happened 27 times. One further. I've also done research in the early days when things were going quite well for the Bulldogs under Luke Beveridge to see how often it had happened. The results, quite interesting. In 2015, in 23 games, it happened 16 times at a rate of just under 70%. And in 2016, the year when the Bulldogs finally realised the Holy Grail, it happened 17 times out of 26. All up, it's happened 33 times out of 49 matches which is at a rate of 67%. This is a theme, and it's not just a theme over the last year and a half. This stands in well, this stands alongside the issues of being able to hit targets inside 50 and the reluctance to be able to tag dominant opposition midfielders over the course of the entire Beveridge tenure. It is not a trend. It is part of the legacy that Luke Beveridge has left at the Bulldogs. Nick, welcome to you. Hello, Matt. Hello, everyone. Yes, we're back, of course, now in, uh, well, it's a bit different to say the, uh, the weather in Melbourne at this point in time. We've had a bit of, a, had a bit of everything, of course, this, uh, this Tuesday as we celebrate uh, Brad Johnson's birthday, of course. Um, what can I say? Yes, it is sort of rather entrenched in its DNA, uh, these particular or horrifying numbers, let's just put it bluntly, um, across the tenure uh, of Luke Beveridge's coaching, not just because of Beveridge, I'm just stating those numbers aren't, um, could be any coach and those numbers aren't exactly pleasing to the eye. Now, the only difference is, is that probably I'd say in 2015 and 2016, we were able to probably give as good as we got within those matches where we would probably return serve with our own respective four goal burst or 
five to one or six to two, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Now it seems like that particular well has become quite, quite dry at yeah. this point in time. And our powder is oh, uh, well sprayed out all over the place. And, you know, we're not able to literally fire a shot despite, might I admit, possessing a, I'd probably say, a more talented forward line. It's probably not as... Um, how would I say, not as cohesive as probably what the 15-16 lineup might have been in terms of, you know, continuity with its players up in the forward half of the ground. There was pretty much the only area on the ground where there seemed to be players actually featuring each week for the most part. Um, it's just a bit different to see. I wonder why, because there's a lot of talented footballers we've got in our forward half of the ground, and it's not that they aren't able to, you know, get on the bike and actually generate scores, because they've been able to do so over the last little bit. The issue is here is now what we're noticing is that the supply on a regular basis within quarters has tapered off. And that doesn't mean like you can still have, um, how can I say, you could still have 15 or, you know, 12 inside 50s in a quarter. But if they're all spanned across in one particular burst, one stretch within that quarter, well, then you're leaving, you know, what's left over for the remainder of that term, you know. It's like having, um, you know, it's, it's all good and all having 10 inside 50s in a row. But then if you're only having one of the next 15 or two of the next 15, well, the number's still literally reflective of the same thing. But the problem is there is that your periods of dominance obviously split up in that sense. That wasn't the case quite likely, I suspect, for our team back in 15 and 16, where we were able to go toe and toe within periods, within quarters, you know. We were able to fight back and have, there were like, miniature games within those terms. Now it seems like uh, our our best punch uh, gets thrown quite early. And we've actually had a hot start quite a fair bit in recent uh, recent weeks, even too. You know, the three goals and none start against the Pies. uh, Will we kick against the Swans? Again, first few goals there. Uh, We had the hot start against, uh, what was it, against the Suns as well, and a couple of other games. We haven't lost too many uh, first quarters this year, I reckon. No, um, I'll get some numbers to back that up, actually. So what, but it's what, just annoying to see. Well, this game against the Swans and the game against the Pies were almost identical. The Dogs there start really well. They get out to a few goals, but then they're pegged back by half time. And in the third quarter, mm. they continue to let the game get away from them. They try and rally, but ultimately it's mm. it's too late. Just on that on that um, homework that you did ask me to to do, Indeed. Um, I'll break it down a little bit more because you wanted me to, to see what it was like in, you asked me yes. to do this last in, in 2019. Let's paint and the picture. In 2020. So ha- we haven't got, as I said at the start, I haven't got a catchy name for these things yet. But it's it's basically any, so how, how do you define it? How can I define it concisely? So it's a scenario where a team, an opposition team, kicks four or more goals over any given period of time, it could be a quarter, it could be a half, it's no defined set of time. But during that period, the dogs score in response less than 50% of whatever the opposition have, have tallied. So if a team kicks four goals, the dogs kind of kicked more than one. If a team kicks five goals, the dogs kind of scored more than two, etc. And you sort of you, you work it across that. Now, this is something that happens regularly. Sometimes it even happens multiple times in games. I'll just read a couple to you here. So just a couple of notable examples in the last, or in 2019 and 2020, because this is what you asked me to, to do. Uh, round one, oh, sorry, round two against the Hawks, there was a run of four goals to one and a run of nine goals to three. Against the Suns in round three, there was a run of six goals to two. 
In round five against the Blues, eight to two and five to one. In round nine against the Cats, five to one and six to zero. Against North in round 10, five to one and five to zero. Uh, against the Eagles in round 11, 17 to four. Around 13 against the Blues, 8-2 to two and 5-0. to zero. Interestingly enough, both times we played Collingwood the, uh, Carlton that year, it happened twice. And both times we played Collingwood, it happened twice that, that year as well. Even in some of the games where we won convincingly, round 22 against the Giants, we won that one by 10 goals. There was a 6-goal-to-1 run in favour of the Giants. Uh, in the elimination final, there was a run of 5 goals to 1 and 10 goals to 2. Ultimately, across 2020, uh, sorry, 2019, it happened twice. Uh, 23 games, it happened 16 times, which is exactly the same as 2015, I might add. In 2020, which you would think would be, it would happen less often because the quarters were shorter, it happened 11 times out of 18, including 11-3 to three against the Tigers, 11-3 to three against the Saints in round two, 12-4 to four against Brisbane, 4-1 to one against the Crows, who, bear in mind, at round 12, hadn't won a game at that point. Here's one you'll love. Round 14 against Geelong, 10 goals to three. Remember that one? And then in the elimination final against the Saints. I unfortunately do. In the elimination final against the Saints, seven goals to two. Look, the only time it hasn't happened out of the years we've calculated, we've not gone through 17 and 18. The only, the only year in Beveridge's tenure where it hasn't happened more than 60% in games across the season was 2021, the year we made the grand final. And I just want to read out a quote to you, Nick, that Luke Beveridge said after the Collingwood game. Just little lapses here and there which allow opposition teams some momentum. I think that's downplaying it significantly. I'd hate if he was trying to overplay it there too. That's downplaying it cross. I'd hate to see what happens if it was actually going AWOL and that side of things. Let's just get into the the, the raw numbers of this game against the Swans because we've got to do that before because I think you've got some numbers there you'd like to share. But let's get these ones out of the way first. So uh, 11-12 to 11-10, the Swans win by two points. Aaron Norton with three goals. He looked very good. Bontempelli with two. He was amazing. Uh, Liberatore, Vandermeer, Poulter, Waitman, Scott, Eugle Hagen all getting on the scoreboard. Trelaw with 33 disposals, Bontempelli and Liberatore with 31, Richards 28, McRae 24, Dale and English 22, English incidentally breaking a record for the most hitouts recorded in a game by any Bulldog, Williams with 21, Caleb Daniel with 20, Bond picked up the 10 coaches votes, English with 4, Liber with 3, Morton with 1. But ultimately, zero points on the ladder. And that is the statistic that matters the most. Well, interesting, Luke. Another quote from Luke Beveridge said in the in the in the press conference. I'll, I'll have to get it up exactly. So I'm, I'm only paraphrasing for the moment, but it was something along the lines of, "In a lot of the key areas, we won." And I mean, yeah, but we didn't yeah. win the game. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you those key areas because this is again where it's quite a concern. Tell me, how do you lose a game of football? To be fair, there's, you know, there's quality and quantity, okay? Mm-hmm. But really, it's perplexing to say the least. How do you lose a game with 21 plus uncontested? Sorry, 21 plus contested, 43 plus uncontested, 14 plus ground ball gets, 18 first possessions more than the opposition, a further 18 clearances, and a further seven inside 50s. And what's more, to uh, make it worse, in the final quarter, the game was up for grabs. We had 18 inside 50s for seven scoring shots, 
tallying 39%. Sydney had nine inside 50s for eight scoring shots, tallying at 89%. Their efficiency across the board, uh, or clearance efficiency, this is where we need to probably get better bang for buck, because this is where the problem is. Specifically last, for us, their last two goals, for what it's worth, came from a, a combined distance of about ten meters out. The Swans, Papley in the goal, squared twice. Yeah, that's infuriating. It's it's this. This is this is the problem. Like it's. I mean, we sort of sit here every week and we try and dissect, you know, the things that we did well when we win, but the things that went wrong when we didn't win. But when we when we come in here after a defeat, we sit down and we dissect it. It's the same things every time. It's why I said at the, at the top of the program, if I think of what are the three key issues that have plagued Beverages Bulldogs from day one, they have to be the inability to hit targets inside 50, the reluctance to tag an opposition midfielder when they've been on top. Now, that's not always been an issue, but particularly during the darker years uh, when midfielders have the number on us, we've, we've not done it. There's only... There's only one instance I can think of in eight years where we've deployed a tagger of any sort, and we only did it in terms of in terms of a hard in terms yeah. of a hard tag, not, not a run with, not a run with a legitimate and a, tagger. a dedicated tag, yeah. and these runner goals. And you sent me an interesting uh, figure as well, which sort of backs up what which which backs up this run of goals. It was since the grand final, the Bulldogs are the fourth worst team in the competition. When it comes to, to conceding goals, in fact, there are only three teams who have conceded more runs of five goals in a row since yep. us, since that grand final. West Coast, North Melbourne, and Hawthorne. And if my yep. if I've well, got, got it right, we've got the Waffle team, we've got Hawthorne Reserves, and we've got the North Melbourne Football Club. And that is just it, absolutely hor- horrific. If I've got it right, there the three bottom sides on the ladder at the moment. I mean, maybe Hawthorne jumped up Indeed. after yesterday's win. No, they are the three worst teams in the competition on the ladder, and we're four. And where were they? Where were they finishing? Last year, if I just can have a look at that, actually. I'm going to get last year's ladder up. Uh, Give me a second. Last year's ladder, okay, well, we had the bottom two, and then Hawthorne was sitting in 13th. So, again, still, though, they're a bottom six side last year. Not very promising. No, Nick, and people will say, oh, but, you know, Liam Jones is out. Well, I've said this many times. It it can't change that drastically when you take a 32-year-old out of the system. Who, bear in mind, wasn't even in the system this time last year. Like not just in the Bulldog system, he wasn't even in the AFL system last year. I wonder. Matt, tell me for a second here. Yeah. Do you happen to have – you've got the numbers, of course, for this respective season, yes? Uh, regarding oh, the, the runs of goals. Um, the runs of goals. I will have to get them up somewhere. I'm pretty sure you did. I'm pretty sure you, we discussed them last week. We did, yeah. I'm just trying to figure out, though, let's have a look. how many games has Liam Jones missed this season. Yes. He's missed a large chunk of round one. Yes, He's missed. Uh, who we play after that? Who we play after North Melbourne? We played Frio. Oh, Frio, yep. That was that a pretty, was that was a pretty good win. Yep. Yep. Collingwood, and then of course Sydney. So that's three particular games, or well, three and technically most of round one. And I really wonder because we'll again tap into this a bit more. I really wonder what our defensive efficiency is in terms of preventing said runs. That doesn't mean because we have Jones there, we're not copying runs of goals. But I wonder the frequency within the games itself and whether it's more like with Jones we cop say runs of three to four goals more so perhaps or whether he's not there do we cop five plus or four to you know whatever it is four to six or seven goals do we are we having a chance to be able to score back because of him um, 
you know, furnishing the defence. You know, can we sort of trim these margins? Yeah. I I'd wonder, have to, though. I'd have to have a look. Uh, we'll, have a, just, we'll have a look at that later. I'm just going through it now. So in the games that he has played, where he's played almost all the games, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. happened against St Kilda, Richmond, pretty sure it happened against Port Adelaide, uh, the first game, not the second game, Hawthorne, the Giants, the Blues, the Suns, and the Cats, and I don't really want to count the North game because he barely played any of that. So that's so in, in terms of in terms of thirteen games that he's played this season, it's happened one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. Eight out of thirteen. All right then. I'm just, that, that's, just off, on that's just off the top those of numbers, my head. Those numbers are statistically better than what we've copped in, in respect of other seasons, which was hovering around, what, the 70% mark? I yep. think it was. This one, 8 over 13, is 61 and a bit. So It's still well around done. the mark. It's within that 60 to 70%, which it has it's, been throughout the five or six seasons that we've assessed here. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to harp on about this too much because we did a little bit of it last week, but it was just frustrating that it was the catalyst behind the defeat again only a couple of days after we flagged it and after it happened and a week after it happened against Collingwood. So that's now 28 at the last 41 times that since it's happened from the was 2021 it, grand final to now. Was it a predictable loss? Yes. Particularly? Not the, yes, not the manner of how it happened, but the game itself. I Well, I tipped Sydney, so I wasn't surprised that we dropped this one. I don't know if that really answers the question, but I, I know a lot no, that's of, the thing. No, no. Like, that's the thing. It wasn't a game that we would have been surprised to have lost, unfortunately, no. considering the inconsistencies that we've gone. I don't know if that quite answers your question, but whether it was a predictable loss. But I, I know a lot of people went into this one going, oh, the dogs, you know, they're still reaching the, the top four. I, I've got to, like, I, I don't want to get too ranty on this. I, I do it enough anyways. But people who are still talking about the dogs, you know, I've got to win to keep in touch with the top four. I said this last week as well. Stop mentioning the top four. We are allergic to it. Please stop mentioning it. Jokes aside, forget the top four. I'm more worried about what's over our shoulder. Nick, we should be be talking right now, sitting here with the dogs outside the eight. Really? I mean, the Crows should have beaten the Giants over the weekend. And had they done that with a lead at home at three-quarter time, we'd be sitting outside the eight right now. Possibly. And probably quite likely in that regard. I I look at the sides that we've got to come. We've got to play Essendon, the Giants... That's at Ballarat, mind you. We've also got to play Hawthorne in Tasmania, Geelong in Geelong, West Coast here, and, and Richmond. They're our last six games, not in that order, but there's only one game that I feel confident of winning at this point. And that's and it's only going to be by about a, and that's only going to be by if they can't get their, you know, four line in a cohesive unit with the midfield, that'll only be a five goal win. I'm, which is not good enough, to say the least, no. considering teams have absolutely annihilated them. We've got, uh, um, I like using this, and I've showed you this before. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, none of you guys can see this, um, but do check it out. We've got the uh, the live squiggle. Does that term ring yes. a bell there, Matt? Yes, sir. The, uh, the, 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 the Max Berry squiggle. It is a wonderful sort of predictor. Now, it's a bit um, sort of going around to see what the tips are going to be like, say, the rest of the season, um, the likelihood of how legitimate of a, of a, of a contender we are, um, the likelihood of what spot on the ladder we're going to, you know, possibly finish in. And it seems like, according to this thing, we still have a very, if things go to scheme, we still have a, we still have a chance of finishing as low as 12th at this point in time. And we still have a very small 
tendency to probably finish as high as third. The bigger or the thicker areas, I'm looking at this, um, how to say this graphic here called the Tower of Power. Uh, it's got us hovering, of course, in our favorable spots of sixth and seventh on the ladder. Nick, um, that is the larger portions displayed, of course. Well, I know I'm, I'm well aware of the squiggle, and I know a lot of people don't like my, uh, I suppose, tendency to be pessimistic. I'm really worried about missing finals. I, I, I think really we am. all should be technically worried, whether you're an optimist or, or yeah. not. I think the idea of missing finals would be, what you know, would it, be is, the... it is, isn't a good force in general, regardless a lot of whether people, you miss it. And a lot of people are starting to jump on the fact that serious changes have to be made in the off-season, should that eventuate. I, I think people are prepared to go down that route, regardless of, of whether we make finals or not. And we'll get to those questions in the in the fan Q&A later on. Oh, no. Having a heart attack here. The squiggle says that we're going to lose to Carlton in the first week of finals. What are, oh, God. What are the consequences <laughs> of a Bulldog side that misses out on finals? Worst case scenario, the Dogs have brought in a couple of players thinking that they're ready to challenge for top four in the off-season. We've spoken about this before. The Dogs falter from here. They miss out on finals from here. What, what are the consequences of that? The consequences are, I reckon. Does beverage, this keep, is his, not... does beverage keep his job? Maybe let's just let's just let's just cut to the chase. Yeah, I don't I think that's. I don't the, that's think it's line. from. I don't think it's going to be club um, driven. I think it might be potentially beverage driven if he thinks he's maxed out. In that side of things, which would be a shame because this is not saying we're, we're okay. The Sausage Bulldog, we're not saying get rid of him. We don't want these things. We just want to see certain things be put into place to give us the best chance of success. Of course, you know, we're massive fans of what Beverage has been able to produce for the club yeah. and, you know, help us. You know, some people have said it, um, you know, over the past week or so. And look, it's a bit of an indictment on the club's history at the same time. But statistically, this is the club's most successful stretch. Of, you know, stretch of um, seasons across. Okay, yeah. okay. So we've always been in that. We've always been in the hunt for yeah. finals, which is again setting the bar at a relative minimum, depending on the expectations. Um, for a club like us, with our history, look, it's a pretty good standard to have at least for the better part of nine years. That hopefully we're going to at least play in another final series. Okay. Well, if now, we do, if that we... doesn't that doesn't mean it's that doesn't mean it's a you know no. acceptable though, and by means considering the personnel that is still on the list, I do think the team is a bit overrated. And not as good as made out to be. You know, the top end talent we have is enough to keep us in games and win us some games against lesser lights. You know, the likes of Horton, the likes of Frio. It should have been good enough to beat the likes of um, the Swans and the Gold Coast. But it seems like their top end talent starting to come to the fore as well. So it's just it's just a very it's a very middling season where you've got this log jammed teams from sixth all the way down to fourteenth still in the hunt. The negative parts about this is, is I can't believe this. Geelong still on the is still on the cusp yeah. of making the top four, despite being what zero and three at the start of the year. Which is, oh, it's a. There are many things I would like to say about that, to be honest, but I won't. I, yeah, look, I, I think you, you make some really good points there. I think what we don't ultimately want someone in or out. I think what we want. Above some all, answers. We want some answers. What the hell is going on? I think whatever it is, whoever it is, I think what we want is what's going to put the club in the best position to be able to succeed. Whatever that is or, or whatever setup that looks like. I think that's what we want more than anything else. Rather than individuals, it's always about the club. If we do make finals this year, and I've been sitting on this for a while, I haven't said anything. 
it'll be the first time we've made finals in five consecutive seasons. Yeah. Which which is a very good feat. Forget yeah. forget the the um you know where we've finished particularly or how far we've gone. Just look at it on the basic four numbers. Making five consecutive or well, touch wood, making five consecutive final series is a fantastic feat. I, I just Hopefully think that you... is the case. And I mean, we we will we will forever debate the question of you know whether is is it the coaching or is it the list, you know which is which is which is what is holding us back, uh, and you know we probably won't ever really know that answer for for a number of years to be truthful. I just think when you're losing the same way every week, that's a concern. I've always said that if we keep finding new ways to get beat, it says that we're trying to we're we're figuring out how to stop ourselves from getting beat the same way. Which is encouraging. You can't keep losing the same way every week, and either not uh, either neglect to do anything about it or not be able to do anything about it. Hmm. it, it and it, 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 it harks back to the five times five is twenty analogy that I've made throughout the year a little bit. Hmm. It just feels it like it feels like at this point we're Sorry. rehashing old points every week, and it's hmm. get, it's it is getting frustrating. Yes, the tape recorders have uh, been fairly well used over yeah. the last half a dozen years. I think it's a bit different where okay, – I want, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, Ross Lyon, um, regardless of what's going on with the Saints at the moment, uh, mm-hmm. he's still a very good coach. Okay, So it doesn't matter. They could miss finals and he's still a very good coach. Yeah. Um, my point here is, is that there was discussions where he would allow his line coaches to – and this is um, – what is it? Uh, Corey Enright, uh, Lenny Hayes, and the likes. You know, of course, I got. I think they got Jared Ruffhead still there, but he's moving to some sort of list management side of things. Uh, he allowed his line coaches to take care of the game plan. Let the you know let the bakers bake, as mm-hmm. Luke Beveridge once uh, quoted or once said. I don't know, maybe a few years ago, I guess, whenever it was. Um, now, those are some good personnel. You know, that's some strong coaching caliber right there. Highly established footballers highly rated across the industry, these guys, some of them. And that doesn't mean because, you know, the fact is in this context, I've had discussions with other friends, um, just because you've got great coaches doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be the saviors and push the list to greater things because sometimes the list isn't exactly crash hot. And I'm talking about the Saints here, okay? And I find that it, and it might sound a bit ironic considering they belted us early this year, but that was just a, a train wreck and a nightmare in all, any way, shape or form. It was a bit of a perfect storm. Now, you go into our side of things. We've got Luke Beveridge. We've got Rowan Smith. We've got uh, Marcus Webb right. and Matt Mark Spanger. Webb, not Marcus. No, thank you. Uh, we've got these coaches. And Brendan who, Laid. And Brendan Laid. Of course, that's right. Brendan, Brendan Laid, Laid came across this season. Ooh, still pretty keen to see what he can bring to the table. Um, we've got some lesser-known types of coaches, those that have filled the gaps to an extent at times. We've got some of those that have been at the club for a lengthy period of time. The question is, do you reckon, with the way that Line has stated, that he lets his line coaches take care of the game plan, do you reckon it's a similar tone within our club or because of, for better choice of words, uh, lack of coaching experience, and I'm talking with Webb and Spanger, for instance, that that is possibly why well, I'm not saying this is the case, but that is possibly why Beveridge takes on a greater responsibility. Uh, let me just clip that one. Nick is a, a candidate for longest question of the year. Uh, Indeed, it is the longest question of the year. Get into to answering that one. I think 
I think Beveridge has a bit more control over proceedings than what someone like Ross might Lyon may allow his constituents. I think that was I think that was slightly different when we had a bit more of an experienced group with uh, Corey King, Ash Hansen, funny things, and congratulations to Stephen King as well picking up a, a win as coach of the Suns at, at the weekend. Former yes, it was uh, very well done. He's coach got, of the Bulldogs. Good on him. There's a lot of talent there at the Suns, and you know we'll have a couple of questions uh, relating to the off season. I think we'll have a good chat about that hmm. a bit later. I don't want to face the Suns in a final though. Given what happened the last time Beveridge faced one of his assistants in Ash Hansen last year, that didn't go down so well. No, no, it did not. So, we'll, look, I, I think Beveridge has a bit more control over the system compared to um, the the likes of Lyon and his list. And the reason I say that and the reason I think that is because the game plan that we see now hasn't changed at all. I asked you a question earlier in the year. What what has Beveridge sort of brought to the table that's new? And I don't think there was really an answer for it because I don't think he has brought in anything new. People, I was listening to people talk about the dogs the other night and they keep talking about the handball club, that Beveridge has brought that to the table. That was was seven, eight years ago. The game has moved on from that. Clubs clubs wise up to, to new implementations and new plans during a campaign. It doesn't take them a whole season or two years to figure it out. Clubs would have spent the entire summer, I'll tell you now, clubs would have gone through the tapes the entire summer thinking, right, well, this is the best team in the competition because they've just won the premiership and they've brought this new system to the table. We've got to figure out how to stop it. And there are some excellent coaches in the competition now and there were some excellent coaches in the competition then who had figured it out. Chris Scott, Ross Lyon, just to name a couple. Both of those sides had knocked over the Bulldogs in 2016 both knocked them over in 2017 because they figured out how to stop the Bulldogs handball game. So you've got to constantly be developing and changing and improving your side. I mean, look, improving is you know, its not always easy, but you've got to be bringing something new to the table. You can't have the same system in place for seven, eight seasons and think it'll still carry the day because it won't. Clubs catch on very quickly. There's far too much effort that goes into that sort of research now for you to be able to get away with it for very long. Like Richmond, Richmond are a good example. I mean, they brought in, what was it? They, well, they had their system in 2017, their forward system of one tall and five smalls. They? Yes, that and was that their was best system. side, to be fair. Yes, but, but, that, what did, yes. but what did what did they do? They went and changed it up. They went and got Tom Lynch from the Suns. I don't think they did it that season. I think they did the year later. No, that was but, the 2018 off yeah, season. But the point is that they, they look to change things. You know, they're not going with that one tall, five small system for you know, for, for much longer. Within a year, they're changing things up. And unfortunately, I think that's something that the dogs have been unable to do, either unable or unwilling to do in that time. Yes. And that's that's It's like back. intentional stagnation, isn't it? You, it's you like, can't... what is it, we're, we're putting a blindfold on ourselves or we're effectively shooting ourselves in the foot, aren't we? Let me tell we're you preventing now, ourselves from doing as well as we could. Collingwood's game plan in, in 2023, or Port Adelaide's game plan, or whoever you think the best team in the competition is, it will not stack up in 2030. It will not. It might. It might. It might get you to a point, but it's not going to win you the flag. You can't. You can't be playing in 2023 with a 2016 game plan. You can't be playing in 2030 with a 2023 game plan. It's just not going to work. I think that's where that that reluctance to move forward. 
it's interesting. I, I saw th- I saw someone put a theory on, on Twitter the other day, and I don't know how I don't I don't believe it, but it 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 makes a little bit of sense. Luke Beveridge was the type of player who, throughout his career, was the battler. Uh, yeah, sort of, so, so he's always on the fringes and he, he feels a bit of an alliance to those sort of types of players. And that's why we see them sort of continue on with their career when perhaps they, they should have been moved on. I don't know if I, I – I don't think that's true, I, or at least I don't think that's intentional. But it feels a bit like that, that we're still sort of we're, – we're being a bit too loyal to the past, not just in terms of players, but in terms of game plan as well. Hmm. I don't think we've seen how Beveridge is immensely loyal, of course, to his players. Yeah, we've seen just how loyal he actually is, and it's it's for the good and for the the detriment as well too, because it is nice to see that type of care that you do have for for those players in that in that regard. We saw him. We saw him defend Bailey Smith last week, which is fantastic. But like, I I think there's, I mean, and and that's totally fine. But I think there are certain instances where you can overdo it a bit, where you've got to make tough calls in this industry. Speaking of speaking of tough calls, uh, the Dogs will have to make a few at selection this week. They'll have to make at least three changes to that side. There is no Lockie McNeil, who was concussed from that hit off the ball from Dane Rampey, or who experienced delayed symptoms of concussion. And somehow, McNeil can't play, but Rampey can. He got off at the tribunal. That's wonderful to see. The head is sacrosanct, remember, Nick. James O'Donnell, another one who was concussed. I don't want to be too critical of him, but that was a, that was a silly spoil from him. Did you did you did you think that? I thought it was I thought it was just a really silly attempt because he didn't really he didn't try to protect himself. Firstly, good good attack on the play, but I think in this day and age, you've got to you've got to look after yourself a, a little bit more than he did. He just sort of ran I, into uh... ran into the guy. Is that right? Is that I couldn't oh, see? Oh, you didn't thing, see it. Oh, that's, that's right. No, I could. I, I had. I had the uh, the radio going off. Of course, um, back I was in uh, London that time. Now, of course, our last episode uh, you and I recorded when I was in Manchester. I feel like it would have been. Uh, yeah, something. I think so. Whatever it was, I was in London checking out Parliament House and all that stuff. So I was constantly. Uh, my my friend of mine who uh, went to the trip with me was noting. Nick, look at the attractions. And then he could just hear the odd swear word going off in the background. Wondering who, what was going. Who, on. Who, who are you listening to? I was listening to a couple of stations just to get a bit of a different look around things. I was listening to Triple M at a time for each particular order, and then I was listening to SCN, and then I was listening to AFL Nation as well. So trying to get different gauges of where they thought the game was heading okay. at that point in time. SCN and AFL Nation are the same thing. They are, but I uh, still mind come up different things. And I was just waiting for the respective stuff. And then, uh, but it was uh, interesting to see though, because it's well, you it's didn't you to, didn't see it. But to, he's, can't watch the game. Couldn't watch. The game, he's just run into the back of his Sydney opponent, and he's he's the whole, he's got the whole sort of body rattle as as a result, and was taken off. And I just thought I, I just thought he didn't protect himself in the in the in the attempt to spoil. And it's a shame because O'Donnell had actually been pretty reasonable up till that point. And then there's the big one. We talk about the key forward curse. So Jamara can't kick, Norton can't kick, Darcy can't stay fit. So this is a this is a bit of an interesting one. So he was off with a corked quad during the third term. He was he was taken out, and then from that they've discovered some internal bleeding uh, as well, namely around uh, well, the quad, obviously. But there's been other issues with sort of like muscles and such around there. So he'll be out for a few weeks. 
So that's three players he's finding, come out. He's finding very innovative ways to get injured, isn't he? Yeah, internal Un- bleeding in the quad, but it's just... hole in the lung. Oh. The good news, though, the good news, though, is that at least one of those departures will be offset by the return of Bailey Smith, who's expected to come back from that illness. I think it's time... Uh, he'll probably be the one who comes in for McNeil, firstly. So we've still got Darcy, who was sort of used both forward and mostly forward, I think, in the time he was out on the ground, and O'Donnell, who was used down back. I'm telling you, Nick, I have... I think it's time we stop going to the well with the same players who have continued to underwhelm this time of the season. I wrote down four names on Twitter last week. Cleary, Karmas, Buzzlinger, and I've forgotten the fourth one. <laughs> Is it regard. Gallagher? Gallagher. Yes, it is. Sorry. Yes, yes. My Sorry, man. Harvey. My man. I'm sorry. I just want to put this out there. I am claiming him. You're okay? claiming him. That's fine. There we go. So Gallagher, Cleary, Karmas, Busslinger. If you had told me at the start of the season that we'd get to round 18 and none of them had played a senior game yet, I'd have been staggered. I think it's time we go with – we probably won't be able to bring all four of them in, but it's time It's time we go with them. I think with Gallagher, and you might have played it last week – I think with Gallagher, as fans, we're largely looking for an excuse to play him. I think we got our excuse at the weekend. 29 disposals, two goals. Yes, Sydney aren't tracking along too well in the VFL, but good form is good form. Watching it, his highlights, again, it's it's obviously highlights is what it is, but those two particular shots at goal were as calm as I've seen for a disposer of the ball slotting between the big sticks. Yep exquisite kicking technique. O'Donnell comes out as a key defender. Let's go with Buzzinger. I, I, I think we've had a look, I think we've had a, we've had a good look at Josh Bruce down back and I, I honestly could Buzzinger do much worse. I love Brucey, but I think I'd rather see Buzzinger be given a go. We, this week. The only thing he what, had a good he I had a good say, game as well. What I could hope to see and I know we've brought this up before actually. Look, obviously Darcy's out uh, for the next little bit. And we have, of course, recently dropped Rory Lobb. What, and I know, you, I think you'd be a fan of this. Why not just bring in Josh Bruce to the forward line? Because if he's going to ruck for 20%, but at least you know he'll be able to do more in the other 80% as a forward. Yep. Uh, I'm all on board. All on board with Bruce's, the Spruce. The Spruce Moose? Yep. Not, not, not a fan of him down back. Never have been. From the from the moment this was flagged, I thought it was a bad idea. But I've always been a big fan of of Bruce in the fourth line. He's a leading goalkeeper in a side that made a grand final, but he missed the last month and a half. He's, an, he's a natural forward. Yep, who can mark, who can lead, who can kick straight, and he's not like anyone we've already got. He brings different strengths to the table that Norton and Eugle Hagen do not. All on board. All on board. And it's interesting that um, one of the few times those three have played together on a side was against Essendon. Indeed. Let's just hope it ends yes, a little better a... this time. Yes, yeah, that'd be nice too, actually. That was a that game was if rather infuriating, to say the least. If you're not going to go with, if that's the case, and you're not going to go with Bruce Dow Ford, Karmas is there as an option for you, who's been a, a who's been a, I think he's been Footscray's leading goal scorer throughout the season. As a third tall, please, if yes, it is to be selected. Tall. And then Luke Cleary down back. We've been calling for this for I've been calling for this since about round three. Get him I in. think we have. I Get think him it in. would be very 
here's another option though. This is getting we're going to start swinging the magnets here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm tempted. I'm actually quite tempted because we want our defenders to be able to to defend. Yes. Okay. Dare I say that? Okay. That's it's, it's in the word, of course. We know Cleary can defend. We know Gallagher's got the prospects of defence, and we need to fix up our, you know, chain of play between mid and forward half connection. We've seen the likes of Caleb Daniel have assisted in that regard, um, you know, for a period of time this year, and generally he's always been pretty good at it. What I am interested in seeing is this. It is time to throw Bailey Dale on the wing and allow the defenders, the genuine defenders, to play down back, mm-hmm. let alone. okay, that is, It's a defend, mm-hmm. but those are the same guys that still can provide the rebound. What we would lose, technically in a rebound sense, with Dale moving further up, yes, there'll be a you know bit of um, a couple of interesting kicks, I'm sure, coming out of the back line, but what you gain in a defensive manner would be increased by a large chunk, I'd say. And you can get that from Cleary and potentially Gallagher there. It might even free up the other players to do a few more things because they know that if they're being covered by defensive-minded players, they might be more offensive in their mindsets and their, you know, um, in their possessions that have a lot more damage. I'd say it sounds a bit ironic trying to move one of our better ball users. I reckon, but I and since considering he made an AA a couple of years ago, there, mm-hmm. I think that he'd be a perfect wingman though because so he's Daniel. also a good mark for his size. Daniel's also a, he's a best and fairest winning AA back flanker, Daniel. And they moved him up the ground and that's worked well. Dale's had a rough old year. He, like he, he's been okay, but like he's only just been okay. And you think someone of his ability should be more than okay. It, it's difficult now because you've moved, you've already moved Caleb Daniel up the ground. You got Bailey Williams, you've moved him up the ground. Caleb Poulter's come into the side and he's looked pretty handy in his first couple of games on their wing role as well. That is a fair so, point. Like, that is a fair like, point. There's not much room left. That's already three wingers you've got in the side. I've, I've just checked the field. There's only two spots for wingers. Hmm. It's good to have, with our there's, only six, there's only six midfield spots. It's good to have uh, a bit of depth. Actually, and then we can have ten midfielders. It's good to have hmm. a bit of depth. I mean, there's never that's never been a problem. But you can have – I mean, well, it goes back to the argument we had a couple of years ago with the midfielders. How do you fit them all in? Is this a, is this a few to and – like, and, you know, I mean, I like Cleary. I think Jure's had a couple of bad weeks. I, I, I would be more inclined to put in Cleary for Jure. Let Cleary oh. focus on one thing at a time rather than worry about getting the footy and worrying about a man for now. I just like to yeah, Indeed. Because Cleary will be, you give Cleary the footy, he'll be, he'll be fine. Cleary, Cleary is one of the most composed footballers I, I think we've got at the club. We were very pleased with his performances last year, uh, especially that Collingwood game. They just dropped. They just dropped him in there as if he's as if he played there for years. He didn't look. He didn't look flustered or out of place. Yep. He just looked like someone who knew what he was doing. It's all right. Luke Cleary's got the footy, guys. We don't need to panic. And that has continued in the VFL this year. And like I say, how we're at around nineteen now, and he's still not been given an opportunity. I do not understand. I don't know whether he fits the system, I don't know, but he's just, I mean, we said this at the start of the year, he looks like someone who's got 200 games written all over him. And that hasn't yes, changed. By now, and, and now he's got three at the moment. Now he's got 180 games written all over him because he hasn't played for 20 weeks. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, I just want to bring up these numbers here quickly, actually, yep. um, respectively for our course of the season. Quarter statistics. Now, they could be a little bit better, unfortunately, but uh, 
oh, it's what it is, and we're just going to have to deal with it. What we've got in our so what's our record overall at this moment, Matt? It's a nine and eight record, yes. Nine and eight, yeah, that sounds about right. Yep, seventeen. Okay, plus a buy. Yep. All right. So now, all right, good. Now tell me this: we've played seventeen matches, which of course means by the numbers, there have been sixty-eight quarters. Now, our percentage is one hundred three point five three. By those numbers, uh, sixty-eight. How many quarters do you reckon we've won this year? Just out, overall. Out of how many? Out of 68. How many do you reckon we've won? Uh, well, 9 and 8. I mean, when it's gone bad, it's gone horribly. Um, so mm-hmm. I'll say around... I'm still, this can still technically be a quarter can be won by a point. Yeah. Okay? Yep. It doesn't make a difference. Just quarter is one. How many I'll do you say reckon? out of 68, we've won 42. All right. Pretty solid. Pretty solid. Okay. How, how close am I? Or how far away am I? You're... F- you're three off. So okay. we've got 39, 2, and 27. So that's win, draw, and loss. Oh, I didn't factor in draws. <laughs> that's fine. There no, I meant, I meant so to what say we've got... <laughs> All right. So if I was to say to you at this point in time, we've got a 10 and 7 record with a percentage, and it's the tick under 112 for the firsts. We've got a 9, 1, and 7 with a percentage of 94.3 for the second. We've got a 10, 1, and 6 record percentage of 103.11 and we've got a 10 and 7 record with a percentage of 105.67 for an overall again 39 2 and 27. now those numbers still look okay relatively there because it still says that we're winning for the most part more than we are losing in that side of things you know we're still winning which is actually on par with the coach's record i think we're winning on average uh let me see 39 over 68 we're winning 57 and a bit percent of the quarters, which doesn't sound like a lot, but generally considering the way football was played. It marries up to our win-loss record, which is just over 50% as well. Yes, indeed. Our win-loss record of 9 over 17 takes us to 53. So we're doing better than our win-loss record suggests. <laughs> the problem is the problem is, is that we're one, at least one win off that, though, because a 10 out of 17 or 10 and 7 record takes us exactly to where our numbers suggest we should be. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily, you know, we win the game against the Swans and magically, you know, we're all back and everything's rosy and all that stuff. But it would have been nice to pinch those wins, okay? I think according to the champion data expected scores, our record should see us, I think, uh, in fourth place. I've got to double-check that right now for you. But we should have a 11-6 and record with a, I must admit, with a rather inferior percentage, to say the least, of course, in comparison to the rest of the comp. But that's what it is. But Nick, we don't. No, exactly. That, is, that say, is the annoying part. You can say we should and, and we might and we, yep. we could. Shouldn't exactly. We the fact, the is, fact is we, we do don't. not. And that's the thing too. People were mentioned saying, you know, if only we'd kick these goals. Mm-hmm. We didn't. We didn't. It doesn't make a blinking difference. As Beveridge alluded to it to an extent um, in the press conference, we won this, we won this, we won this, but we lost the one that mattered. Yeah. Simple. No, that's it. I, I'm going to – let me see if I can – if I can get up that uh, that quote that he said. Now, uh, just while I do that, it's interesting because I think Dan made the point in, in one of the questions. This year, we've got nine wins, eight defeats, a percentage of 103.5. This time mm-hmm. last year, we had the exact same record with a percentage of 112. So if you want to just go off those stats, we're actually a better sign last year. Mind you, yes. the, caveat, the caveat is... Well- where were we sitting last year we, at that this, point in time? We were ninth 
at this point. The caveat with that, though, is that one of those wins last year was West Coast by 100 points, and that probably is the difference. Hmm. I've 10%. That is a very fair point. Is, is probably, yeah, about that. I've got it uh, got it here with uh, Luke. Now, we won a lot of key aspects of the game, and ultimately they won the main one. Well, I mean, I can you can say, yeah, we won contested possession, we won clearances, we won inside 50s, we had more scoring opportunities or, or whatever. We lost. So none of that really what's, matters. What's annoying, though, is that if you have another team, can some sides have got more skills than the others. You know, like imagine if, like if West Coast or North Melbourne had those numbers, you'd think that they still should win the game, even though what's going on with their season, yeah. they probably would win those games. But it's an interesting to see is that why is it that we don't ever get bang for buck? You can imagine if Brisbane have those numbers. You can imagine if Port have those numbers. God forbid if Collingwood have those numbers against the side. Yeah. And you could be stating it's a ten-goal win. Now yeah. that doesn't mean we we should have smashed the Swans because, again, dare I say it, the expected scores actually had us losing that game. Well, they're they're not a bad side, and interstate wins are hard. I mean, there'll be some people who'll look at those numbers, and it will be it will comfort them. They'll go, oh well, you know, we we didn't play, we we didn't win, but we're not playing badly. I actually find it more alarming that we were that dominant and we still didn't win. But there's something, statist- something statistics-wise. Yeah, but something's not play-wise though. Yeah, something's going wrong if you're having that sort of statistical dominance and not winning. But whether you want to focus on the play of the game in terms of what you watch or the numbers, like you shouldn't be producing those sorts of numbers and losing. No, but let alone even if we were to have won, as I said it doesn't mean everything is all honky dory. You know, just because no, we get those not. numbers and we kick and we kick an extra three more points and win by one, doesn't mean. You know, salvation right there because it would be just as frustrating because those numbers shouldn't suggest the game should have been that close. That doesn't necessarily mean we were on top of the game because I thought the Swans, or at least what I listened to, were the better side. And as per the expected scores, they were. And I think they won by 12 points on the expected scores 87 to 75, I think it was. Um, but then again, that comes down to good coaching, that comes down to good systems, and it comes down to the idea of players knowing when and where to take advantage of certain situations. I tell you, there is probably, how could I say, clubs when they see us make a turnover during a match, the forward six for that team would be absolutely frothing at the heels then and there. Straight away bolting to the forward 50, waiting, you know, give it 10 or 15 seconds, this ball will be back down here. No, you're right. But again, I, I... Yeah, I just think if you're going to have that sort of statistical dominance, and how can you how can you have less scoring shots but double the inside fifties in a final quarter where the game is to be won? We had less shots, but admittedly by one. But how, how on earth does that happen? Remember, I, I mentioned to you a million times, Matt. It's not necessarily always, you know, the inside fifties itself, and people will say, "Oh, we can't kick the scores because we're missing the shots." For me, the bigger issue is why are we only able to generate not just for this game in particular, but why aren't we able to generate? roughly to the AFL average of scoring shots created. We're always falling short. And then when we miss those additional shots that we happen to take, the figure is compounded and it's made even worse than what it is. You know, like in this context here, for instance, um, Sydney had, what was it, eight shots out of their nine entries in the final two and we had seven out of 18. Ideally, we should be at least having three more shots on top of that. We should be at least be getting 10 minimum or the bare minimum, we should be getting to nine. So the interesting part is here how the Swans are able to go at at least a plus 30% above AFL average or 35% above AFL average. And why on earth are we 12 or 14% below that figure? 
And that's a regular occurring thing. Of course, as we've alluded to it, you know, for a number of episodes, why is it that we aren't able to create, it's not that we can't create enough scoring opportunities, but why is it that there's none other, very few of those opportunities are actually generated into anything of substance? And then when they are generated to something of substance, it's usually over behind. That doesn't mean, you yes. know, because when we have the chances to score, the chances to score are what they are. But why are we falling short in our ability to create said scores? That's what frustrates me more than the actual continual point kicking. Why are we falling yeah. short of an extra five or six shots on average each game? It's an extra, an extra six behinds on the weekend wins by four points right there. Why couldn't we... You know what I'm saying. Well, one's a skill issue in terms of, well, why do we keep missing our shots on goal? Another's a system issue. And look, yes, I've, I've said to you, look, I've said this is why the, the blame is, is twofold, because Beveridge is not telling the players to miss the shots on goal, but Beveridge is telling the players how to implement the system and what the system is. And that, that's where that, that's that's the difference between where both parties need to take responsibility. I don't think our conversion of I know it was eleven ten, it wasn't great. I don't think our conversion of opportunities was that bad. Let me see. How I many can't. what was it? Come again, what did you say? Eleven ten was it? Eleven ten, yeah. yeah. Um the, I mean Give me a second. We had how many inside fifties? I can't I think of too many glaring misses. I think there was there was one that Waitman missed in the final term. When he went to kick around the body, when we when uh, mm. Scott just put us in front and the dogs had the momentum, Bonta oh, had one from fifty that he, that he missed as well, but didn't I score. I am terrified. And then Waitman had a shot from the pocket that he should have kicked but missed. Yes, here we here we go. Here are some horrific numbers. This is the forward efficiency. This is what I'm talking about: the ability to generate said shots, please. Okay. And defensively, we actually did a fantastic job in that third quarter. Unfortunately, it all blew itself up in the fourth term uh, when we came up against the Swans there. Now, let's just roll it through. First quarter, we had 16 inside 50s. We had 12 shots at goal. Now, there you go, Matt. Please, give me the quarter time scores or each respective um, interval score, please, if you've got that there. So it was five, I can just roll it off. So 5-4 to 2-3 quarter time. All right, so that's nine scoring shots. To five? Sorry, nine registered shots. At nine a scores. Nine scores. Nine scores out of 12 shots registered. That's four. Uh, in terms of converting shots to inside 50s, that's 75%. And converting uh, scores to inside 50s, that's nine over, was it 16? That's 56 and a bit. Okay, so that's okay. That's acceptable. That's plus four or five on the AFL average. Second quarter. Was one goal straight. One goal straight. Thank you. So we had two shots in that quarter. So one, uh, one registered goal and nothing from seven inside 50s, okay? So that's two over seven is 29%. And if we wanted to really press it down for one over, for one goal per in, uh, for the inside 50 tally, it's about 14 and a bit. Third quarter right. was three now, goals to two? Three goals to two. What was our uh, three goals? What were we? Uh, we were three goals to, that's five. All right, so we scored from, we scored from five of our six shots, okay? So that's yep. okay there. That's fine. So that's registering actual or taking those chances to an extent. But this goes back to my point before. Why is it that we're only having six shots at goal from 17 entries? That yeah. is not a supply issue. And it says that when we get the ball going forward, that's what I'm saying here. It's not the idea of the points that hurt us. It's the fact is, why are we not getting more than what we should be telling? So here, so fire, what was it? three goals, two from six uh, shots from seven entries, that's 35%. 
and five over 17 is what? If my numbers go there, 29, okay, which is not brilliant by any yeah. means, but still, you know, but that number should be hovering around eight out of 10 or seven out of nine, something like that, okay? An extra yeah. couple of, go to the final quarter, I've already mentioned it 100 times, seven over 18. What was our scores that quarter? Two, two four. four. Brilliant. Brilliant. So six <laughs> out of seven. That's just outstanding. I, I get the feeling that, shooting at 33%. Oh, it's just I, horrific. I get the feeling you don't mean that sincerely. No, not at all. This is frustrating. Even reading the numbers is killing me on the inside. So well, the Swans uh, had, the Swans led the tally in three of those quarters. Okay. Yep. I'm talking the second term where they were going at, in terms of shots generated in such they're going at uh, 57 to 29, uh, 89 to 39, where they definitely won it in those areas. And what would they? Admittedly, we actually picked them in the third, but not by much. You know, 35 to 27. That's not going to really make a difference in the end. That's only one shot there, effectively. We did crush them, of course, in that first term, though, efficiency-wise. Uh, 75% to 46. The annoying part was, and tell me, I want you to, I want you to see if you know this. Uh, apparently, uh, Darcy, who else was it at the back end of the first quarter that had shots of goal? Uh, so just late in that first term, Darcy, as you said, was one of them. Were they easy shots or not? Because I didn't, I couldn't see a thing. Uh, I'm just trying to remember them myself. Uh, Norton had a, a set shot that was probably about 45 out, not much of an angle. Uh, Eugle Hagen's point was one where he was really tucked up against the behind post and it nearly got there, but it was sort of just rushed on the line. The Sam Darcy one from the pocket was a snap that was on his left side, but pretty tricky one i can't remember the mccray miss mm -hmm. uh, yeah i can't remember the mccray miss what, what that no, that's all right was. there but that's what's annoying there too because what was the score Five well, there goals, was there was four. one where bailey williams Shit, was two, running three. towards goal and he kicked, mm -hmm, it out, mm -hmm. uh, kicked it out in the full and he's normally very all right so that's one of those so that's not that's one of those three no scores yeah right there and uh, no and uh, no shots technically registered in that sense oh it's amazing well, let's let's calm you down, Nick, and let's get stuck into these uh, these questions because there's oh, a lot of you would have you would have you would have hated even the tour the other tourists they would have hated to have seen me if I was actually able to watch the game around the streets of London. There, it was for my other mate. It was very entertaining. So shout out to him right there. He'll know who he is. There's a lot of questions this week, though. So let's see. Firstly, uh, where, where am I going to start with this one? Um, all right. Let's see. Let's start here. Let's let's not mince words. Rocky Saggio or Saggio is Bevo coaching next year? If I they don't make finals, I'm... I think that is the case. But I think it's more from him standing down. It's not that we want him to stand down. I don't want him to stand down. I want him to coach. I still I, think he is technically the right coach for us. But yes, we just I, need to see what happens. I, I, just, I wanted to coach us to a flag, Nick. I think we all want that. Yeah, we, I, we know that he's good enough to do so. I, it's not I, I often think, you're going to get someone that can do that. I club. think you. I think you're right. But I mean. I think it really depends on, on what happens at the end of the season, whether they make finals or not. It would be It's very rare that a coach is sacked after making finals. So I think if he does make finals, even if they get knocked out first week, I, I think he stays. But I, I, think if he, I think if we miss out on finals this season, uh, I think you've got to, then you, you've got to start asking questions. Hmm. If we didn't sneak in by 0.6 of a percent last year, merely forget the fact we lost, but if we didn't sneak in by 0.6 of a percent this year, and then this year potentially becomes consecutive seasons post grand final. Does that mean he would get sacked? Well, uh, that opens up a can. Because I think if he it misses, does, we, if, saw if the, he... we saw the Crows sack, um, what was his name? Don Pike from missing 18 and 19. 
after the seventeen yes. season. I think the other thing, the the other the other wrinkle that um, you can throw into the mix here is the fact that Beveridge was uh, had his contract extended by a further two years during last year's off season. I think if we miss finals, I don't think that happens. So he's very much out of contract this year. Very like similar to Ken Hinckley in a lot of ways. Goes into this year out of contract, and not with a with a new deal. It's a bit different because the dogs, the dogs committed and, and Port Adelaide haven't. They've just waited to see how things played out, which is what I, I think we should have done. Whether it whether that means the dogs would have gone on and finished top four, I, I don't know. But I, I, that's what I would have gone with. I think that's something that you've got to factor in as well. And I think if you're at a contract and you don't make finals, well, then he's definitely gone. But he's got two years under his. And I don't know if it, I don't know if that actually means anything when all is said and done. But I, I think that makes the decision a bit more difficult to make. It's easy to sack an out of contract coach who doesn't get you the finals. It's hard when you've got someone who's got two years uh, left in it. Let's see. Oh, I mean, a few people have asked that question, actually. Laurie asks, is Jure finished? I think a farewell game v Hawthorne will be a nice ending to his career. Well, I think a grand final date with Collingwood would be a better way to end his career, to be honest, which I'm still holding out hope for that we somehow managed to turn things around. Jure, I think, is is gone this at the end of this season. I mean, it, he was it was a he was a last minute re-signing from last year, and it just came out via a slip of the tongue from Kylie Watson Wheeler during the best and fairest night. That that's how I actually found out he was committed to this yeah. season to begin Our with. Our ears pricked up, didn't we, when we yeah. heard that? Yep. Yeah. So like that that's the only reason we found out that he was sticking around last season. I think that was a that was a very late decision. That was made by that was that was his respective choice. Yeah, of course. And he's not had he's not had the best fortnight. I don't know whether I'd consider dropping him this season this year this year. If I mean, it's just a way. How do you you want to put? How badly do you want to put Cleary in the side? I I don't think the dogs will do that. I think Jure will stay in the side this week. Um, but uh, Mm. yeah, he's he's with games left now in single figures for him in terms of his career. I do want to make mention, of course, though, um, people might say that he's, you know, getting a bit cooked and stuff. And unfortunately, you know, that's what happens when you get a bit older in football terms and um, he's just he's just hanging on at this point in time. What I will say is, though, for a future fourth-round pick, he has by far been one of the best bargain recruits that we've had. Oh, yeah. In no, general been, terms. He's been, he has been, he's been exceptional great. and we've been a, we've had a better back line because of him. Um, at least, you know, we got to see uh, how impressive or how important he was when he did feature in 2020, how good he was in 2019, how exceptional he was in 21. And he still, you know, had his, he had his moments last year too. Compared to, to uh, com- what our defence looked like when he did play compared to when he didn't in those first few years, 2019 to 21. And, of course, there's the one-on-one with Charlie Cameron in the final. Oh, no. Yeah, Charlie Cameron, yeah. Indeed. Oh boy! <laughs> Tell you what, I think I forgot to breathe yeah. in that moment. That was scary. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was terrifying, <laughs> to say the least. But no, that was that was that was fantastic. Uh, that was a fantastic, um, a fantastic moment. And he shut down Cameron after quarter time. Eastern Wood wasn't Indeed. doing so well. They they turned to Taylor Jure onto Brisbane's most dangerous forward, and Cameron barely got a kick after that. Uh, Indeed, Grunter's dog box asks, why don't you address the elephant in the room? I think we have. I'm not sure if it's an elephant uh, anymore. To be fair, 
I think there's many elephants in this particular yes. room at this point in time. Um, what do you reckon it's the, oh, what do you call it? Maybe it's the elephants in the room from The Simpsons, you know, with the, with the Duff Brewery one, that pink elephant, I reckon. That's what I think it is. <laughs> uh, let's have a look. I mean, I don't know if there's any of these questions that you want to ask. A few people have gone to the, is it time to unleash the debutants? The Supercoach Roach has posed the question, uh, who else has here? There's a few. I've just just lost them here now. Dan Cosson has asked the question. Mitch Wind has asked the question. Gallagher and Buslinger look like the two that are being most touted as potential debutants. Do you think we'll see them this week? I am. This is off no particular notes, but I think we'd be pretty confident to say that that will be likely to be the case this time around. Uh, no no knowledge basis on this, um, but we would like mm-hmm. to think that that's the case. Hmm. Okay. Uh, in the draft, here we go, just looking forward a little bit, SK asks, in the draft, do you think we skip matching Jordan Croft unless he becomes a second rounder and use our first two picks to get players we need? Uh, well, I don't, I mean, unless you've picked up any mail that I've overlooked here, Nick, that's about where Croft is at the moment in that second round. He's, I not, he's, not, so. a Sam, he's not a Sam Darcy. He's not, we're not going to see him in the top no, five. No. no, no. If someone decides to bid on them early on, good luck to go for it. Take your picks, you know, and that side of things. But, yeah, he'll be featuring uh, quite likely at the um, mid-second point. And what we'll do is we've got, uh, we've got a first-round pick this year. We've got a, another first-round pick, of course. We've got a future first-round pick still. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty well armed in that regard. So... And do you have who something else? on who that? Has, do you have something on, who on has that? Academy, who has academy prospects this year? I know the Suns have got academy prospects yeah, this year. They're going to need a bit. Of, they're going to need some pocket change too, do you which have they some... will likely get via a couple of player departures. Okay. Um, now I know there was, of course, a large discussion whether uh, the likes of, say, Sam Flanders or Elijah Hollands, for instance, were would be considering their options, and that seemed to be the case apparently um, before Stuart Jews. Uh, Exit from the coaching box, yes, and now he's, uh, of course, uh, potentially opening the batting for Australia up in, the, up in England. So, taking yeah, he's just taken my – he's replaced me. He's, uh, he's got an extra – he's got a, a bit more uh, weight than I do. I'm the – oh, God, but um, he's probably carrying a lot more weight on me too, I think, on, on the shoulders. So, I am a big fan of Stuart Jew, and if he ever had the chance to um, join our coaching box and in an assistant sense or head of football or something along those lines in the department, I'd do – I'd reach out right for it straight away. Was, but, there, um, was there someone from the West? Yes, yes, there is. And I'm pretty confident it will be. Um, so what's our – where is Brisbane on the ladder currently at the moment? <laughs> a little bit too high up for, for our ladder, yeah, I think. Yeah, a little bit too high. Are, but, they, uh, are they now third? They are now third, so what's that? No, they're third. Game and percentage. So that's what, pick 34, whatever it is, 33 or something like that. Um how does everyone how does everyone feel about having a, a Brisbane's a second round pick uh, this year heading of thirty four? Thank you, heading off to Fremantle for Liam Henry. Uh, it's pretty pretty close. I think there's a lot of connections. He's good 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 close, uh, close mates with Cody Waitman, Artie Jones, and Jamara or in that side of things. So um, yeah, don't be surprised to see us have a a small forward wingman in that particular mould. We didn't bid on him though. Um, we didn't bid on him but when he was drafted. That was Carlson. But we did look at him. Well, we, didn't have a, we didn't have a pick that high. He was actually Cody Waitman was actually he was actually on, on a question on the chase today. Oh God, Cody Waitman, Cody Waitman is, a, is an athlete in which code of sport? I thought it was going to be. Code? I thought it was going to be which small forward. 
on the Western Bulldogs, <laughs> infuriated the Essendon Football Club in the elimination final in 2021. That's a, that's a, that's a very specific question. I think the, the chaser incidentally got it wrong. Um, she guessed NRL. She, she got it wrong. That's okay. Uh, the team guessed AFL and they got it right. Anyway, uh, what else do we have here? I don't know. Are there any questions you want to cover, Nick? I normally ask the questions. Maybe you can you can pick one that uh, that you see that, that takes oh, your fancy. Give me a second here. Um, got too many particular tabs open here at the moment, Matt. <laughs> Just so many things going on with all these numbers and, and whatnot. But uh, let's take a squiz. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of them that sort of relate to the coach. Uh, to coaching changes, I don't think the dogs are, are going to make the call and uh, and terminate Beveridge's tenure until the season is over at least. Like I know the Suns did it with Stuart Jew; they brought in Stephen King. That that seemed to work, uh, or at least for for one week. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't think they'll do that, and, and certainly I don't think they'll make any major changes to the coaching department around him mid season. I think if they're going to do that, that will be an end-of-season thing. So to a lot of those people who are asking that question about the now, mm. I don't think we'll see that now. I think that will be, yeah, once once it's all once it's all done for the, the season. Hmm. It is interesting, to say the least. There's a lot of them there, too. I wonder whether we could probably consider this question here just to tap into and probably get a, a different perspective, I reckon, right. from... At Peter underscore Warren, why do we see former Dogs players who struggle on our team perform well at other clubs, i.e. Paddy Lipinski, Lewis Young, and Lockie Hunter, and of course we then bring in Rory Lobb? What do you reckon of that? Because it's interesting that some players, of course, have gone on and done well, and other players have gone on and not done so well in that context. What do you make of that particular yeah, question? It, it, is, it, is, it is a great question and it's a source of frustration. I mean, I, I imagine it's a source of frustration for every fan base when they let go of a, a good player and they see them do well uh, at another club. And there's some very good examples in there, like particularly Lipinski and, and Hunter, watching them play for uh, other, other teams and play well for other teams has been frustrating. Lewis Young has had his moments as well on both sides of the ledger. He's had some good moments. He's had some not so good moments. I'm not sure if he's in the in the mix at the moment at Carlton at the moment, whether he is playing for them. Mm. In any case, uh, it, it it is frustrating. I mean, and we were we were big fans of Lipinski for a while, and for him to not get a game ahead of others who did get a game, particularly late in 2021 and at times in 2020, I thought was odd. He wasn't the perfect player, Lipinski, but I think he brought strengths to the side that you've got to have in your team, and you build a, and you you build around him, not not as the central figure in the side, but you you put you put processes in place to make sure that his deficiencies aren't exposed as often as they are. And mainly it's around the like I think with Lipinski it was mostly around the strength of the tackle. Because there wasn't much else that for for an outside player that you could really be critical of. He was he had very good stamina, he was a very good runner, he was a very good kick, he could find a lot of the footy. I mean we all we all we all know we all know the Josh Bruce quote. Who do you most enjoy leading to when it comes to players kicking inside 50? And out of a team that's got Bontempelli, Liberatore, uh, Caleb Daniel. McRae is Bailey very Dale, good at it too. Jack McRae. He said Patrick Lipinski. And I think that's got to count for something. Hunter's yeah. been a, a particular source of frustration of watching him play, but I, I think there's more to it than him. There's a lot more to that. And He, he played in the final oh, last year. Like Hunter was one of those, when fit, he played. There's a there's a lot going on. We we know 
he took he took break from a break from the game on a couple of different occasions in the last few years to to focus on his mental health as well. I, I think he just needed I'll, an opportunity. I'll time. I'll say it like this: just factor in the frustrations, or just guesstimate the frustrations that the playing group uh, at the time had with Jake Stringer. And I'm not saying he's doing these things, but let's just just you know to yep. get a ballpark. Um, just pretty much it's around those vicinities. If we're looking to, to so, gauge it on a level or something. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, let's just say player voted, <laughs> just to put it out there. It's interesting given that the player voted for, well, I say one player voted for him to captain the club in at the end of 2019. Mm. Of the club, everyone voted for Bontepelli to be captain except for Bontepelli, who voted for Hunter. Yes, it's what the hell... What and I mean that's just what the hell happened with him because it's a it is a crying shame seriously. And on the lob, uh, the lob uh, comparison, would you bring him in this week? A couple of goals, but I don't know. Didn't set the world on fire. No, this is where you and I are debating the idea of whether we do bring in Rory Lob or whether we consider Josh Bruce as a forward, which is what I'm you know very where, interested in. You know where you, you know where my money is. Most of it's going to Lob, but. <laughs> but not not because not because I, I necessarily want him there. I'm with Bruce. I'm with Bruce. I, I think we've got to try something new, something that we haven't tried this season. And whether that's debutants, whether that's Bruce up forward. But if we keep doing the same things that we've been doing all year, we might be able to beat some teams, but we're not going to be able to beat enough. Yes, if I'm going into a admittedly Bruce is not a player he was, to be fair, unfortunately. Um, who would be more of a worry for Respective defences. Who would be more worried about featuring on Lob or featuring on Bruce? Lo- uh, Bruce if that means definitely Bruce. if that means Bruce becomes the first or second, well, that means and the other blokes get a bit uh, off the chain, doesn't it? Ah, oh, we'll have to see. Oh, we will, and I think that's just going to do us for another marathon episode of the Salty Ball. Just one final thing: a little bit of a special mention to Footscray, who have now won six in a row in the VFL. We don't give them as much yes. love as we should, and they've got. They've, they've, they're in the top 10 now. They're just half a game outside the top eight. And they've got it's the normal... Lincoln wild card thing, but uh, look, we'll oh, take it. We'll take it me... if they play in it, but we're not big fans of the wild card. I'll tell don't you, get me start on that. That only came about because Carlton fans were whinging about the fact that they lost their last four games last year. If they had won one of oh, those... Oh, that's their fault. If, we, if they had won one of those four, we wouldn't hear people complaining about how unfair it was on the Bulldogs. But it's no, unfair on Carlton not... for some reason. Mm. Might I say, I think I've seen us do the new tactic for player acquisitions, or at least recruits, anyhow. Uh, chasing players with two first names. Liam Henry, Liam Henry. fits the build. Okay, so we'll, we'll go from there. Wait, that's right, it? And we'll see what happens. That's it. Now, we've got a whole bunch of, we've got a whole bunch of other names, but uh, not going to get through because there is a lot of blinking <laughs> names. So that's, uh, that's an assignment for next week. Uh, beautiful. I look forward to it then. Of course, the Salty Bulldog podcast you'll be able to listen to this week, next week, and most other weeks on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the other podcast outlets as well. There's our social media channels as well, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. We haven't filmed an episode of Salty Bulldog TV because I've been working and Nick's been away. And that's going to continue on Friday night. Uh, so apologies that there hasn't been much of that lately. Of course, the website as well, www.thesaltybulldog.weeksite.com forward slash home. Nick Galea, thank you for joining me. Always been a pleasure. Marvellous. Welcome back to the wonderful world of football to myself. And uh, I'm looking forward to catching up properly in person, uh, possibly the week after their match, and we can take this down. 
We'll do it again. He's been Nick Galea. I've been Matthew Donald. Thank you for tuning in. We look forward to having you join us again next week. But until then, take care.